and most importantly, welcome to DirtOnDirt.com. This is the Rigsby Report podcast by Kaiser Manufacturing for the week of March 16th. And normally at the beginning of this podcast, I, I have some notes that I like to hit on, but I, I just, I got to be honest, I don't really have anything today. I, I obviously, if you've listened to this show before and you kind of know my style, I don't really script it. Uh, particularly today, there is uh, not much of a script or an outline for this podcast it's just me kind of shooting straight from the heart and straight from the hip. Now, if you guys, I will say this, if you haven't, please listen, go to dirtondirt.com and listen to the video cast that's currently on the website called Coronavirus, uh, the Coronavirus and Racing. It's myself, it's Ben Shelton, it's Kevin Kovac, it's Derek Kessinger, it's JD, Jonathan Davenport, Ray Cook, and Matt Curl. It's just us discussing the wild world that we are living in right now and how it pertains to racing and the coronavirus specifically. How will it affect us in racing? How are we reacting to it in racing? What exactly are we doing? Are we doing anything to do our part in racing right now? It's really a comprehensive, it's almost an hour-long breakdown of our immediate reactions to things in this crazy, crazy world right now. So I'd really recommend giving that a listen. Like I said, it's on the homepage right now, Coronavirus and Racing. It's a video cast that, you know, if you're a Dirt Track fan, you absolutely are going to want to listen to. Hey guys, wanted to drop this piece in there too. This wasn't actually in the original recording of this podcast I did. Uh, but like I, like I say later on, the news is moving so fast right now, it's hard to keep up. And I had everything with Bart recorded, my open, my close, everything recorded. And at about 8.15 Central Standard Time, 8.20, Lucas Oil announced that they are postponing their next four races. So Atomic Brownstown this coming weekend and then 4.11 in Talladega in early April have all been shifted to later in the year. Atomic and Brownstown to May 8th and 9th, 4.11 and Talladega to June 26th and 27th, which puts those on top of the Firecracker 100, which I know some people are going to grumble about. But this is, listen, whatever happens scheduling-wise this year, you got to get over it, right? This is, these are unprecedented times, and it's going to call for some unprecedented scheduling stuff. It sucks. It's on top of the firecracker, but what do you want them to do? They got to get races in. So I'm not defending Lucas here. I just think it's, it, shit's going to happen this year. People are just going to absolutely have to deal with it. So uh, again, just wanted to drop this in because I didn't want someone to listen to this and go, he didn't even talk about Lucas. This sucks though, right? This is to me the first big hammer in short track racing to fall. Lucas Oil will not race again. They're hoping the Port Royal and Hagerstown uh, stuff in mid-April, but I think even that is up in the air a little bit now. That's about a month. It's over a month, man. Still a month with no Lucas racing. Personally, I don't know how the Outlaws don't follow suit, but we'll see. It'll be uh, it'll be each series call. So we'll see. Just wanted to drop that in there. You're going to hear me talk about Lucas a little more later, and you're going to think, what the heck? Uh, but I just had to drop it in, guys. Uh, let you know, Lucas next for postponed. This is the weird freaking world we're living in right now. The virus is knocking late model racing to its knees. Obviously, the news is moving just so fast these days. And as someone, you know, I've got a pretty extensive news background. And I can say in my life, I have literally never seen anything like this. From the moment Rudy Gobert was diagnosed as positive in that NBA game just last week. That's not that long ago. It's like five days ago. I'm recording this on a Monday. Uh, and let's remember also, Speed Weeks was one month ago yesterday. Speed Weeks ended. So just 30 days ago, this really wasn't 
to the general public on their radar that much, and that is how much has changed in a month to the mass shutdown of all sporting events. NASCAR just announced tonight they're suspending all their races until early May, and I'm sure there's more to come, right? It, it is going to start affecting our world greatly here as well. And I'm not sure anybody that's listening to this right now will ever, will really ever experience anything like this in our lifetime again. And forget racing for 30 seconds here. What is happening right now, everyone paying attention to it, the situation in stores, the media cycle, the global impact, this is a once-in-a-generation moment. I don't know that people are truly appreciating that, not only the severity of the entire thing, we can talk about that in a second, but the global impact this is causing. Uh, those of us with 401ks and stuff are definitely feeling it right now, but there's a lot more to it than that. One thing I've noticed is people in racing particularly like to err on the side of, and I don't know why, I don't know why this is, but racing people really err on the side of, well, how serious is this? You know, I see a ton of social media that says, this is all a media creation. This is all nonsense. For whatever reason, a decent amount of racing people seem to land in that camp. And I'm not trying to make this a political show. It's the last thing I am. I'm very apolitical, actually. But I'm not going to pretend that some people haven't overreacted to this. That's happened. But I do have more than a few friends and family members who are doctors, very well-respected doctors, one particularly at the Northwestern Hospital, who are telling me, yeah, this, this is serious. And that we had to do what we did, and that by that I mean stopping sporting events and stopping gatherings and all that stuff to flatten the curve out. Or my brother-in-law, who's a doctor in the Northwestern Hospital, just flat out said we would be effed. The hospitals would be screwed. Uh, and he's apolitical, too. And I know there's a lot of political people out there uh, that, that, that want their side to be right in this, but the doctors I've talked to are both Republicans and Democrats, quite honestly. This is not really a political issue. It may take 18 months for this thing to fully realize. I'm not saying we won't be gathering for 18 months. I'm saying but it'll take 18 months to two years before we know the, the full component of what we dealt with in the coronavirus. So what does all of that mean for racing? Uh, I don't have a ton of answers yet, but here is my guess, and this is my guess only. Um, mixed in with some sources that I have spoken to that know their stuff. I think, by and large, we might lose racing until around late April or that May 1st date. Could be a little worse than that, but I think at the very least we can expect that. Of course, the CDC's eight-week recommendation from yesterday makes all this much harder to predict. But I think May 1st-ish, you can book that as kind of the time when racing gets back to normal. I think for some of these series, they're not going to get the choice, or some of these promoters. I've seen Port Royal and Williams Grove and these guys out east saying, hey, we're racing no matter what. We are racing no matter what. We are going to be, until the government shuts us down, we're racing. I think the governments may mandate this for them. Keep in mind with Port Royal, too, and I, gotta, I can't say enough about the job that Steve and everybody's done at Port Royal. Much of that racetrack is, is aided by the state, right? Grants and everything. So that'll be interesting to see how that develops. The state is saying, don't race and Port Royal has that state tie-in, that, that will be interesting a little bit. Um, I think that the, as this thing intensifies, racing people, series, drivers, all that, are going to start to take it more seriously. As it gets more local, too. Like, I live in Bloomington, Illinois. There's not been a case here yet. When this place, when Bloomington gets a case or two or 10 or 100 of coronavirus, it will become more serious and more local to people at that point. Uh, you're starting to see those cancellations creep into the racing world. Boyd's, uh, canceled their spring nationals race on Friday right now. As of right now, as this recording, Sonoya is still on, but again, I'm not sure what will happen here over the course of the next couple 
days. You're also going to see people get creative. The track out in California, I think it was Ocean. I should I should have looked before I started, but I think it was Ocean limited their crowd to 250 people, and that was it. They're going to have a crowd of 250 and no more. I know places like like Matt Curl and I have already talked about Fairbury. Could we do something like that at Fairbury? Could we have a, a crew member driver only? Uh, situation and we stream it and we live stream it. I think a lot of tracks have reached out to me about kicking that around. Do we do? But now that if, if the federal government is saying 10 people, it's going to make that impossible. But I think you're going to see people get creative here in dirt track racing a little bit. How can we make this work to make these races happen? I think inevitably they're probably going to do nothing, but uh, let's find out. I know it's a little early to know all the answers, but I think racing is about to get hit by this relatively hard the next six weeks. There's there's no bullshitting that. There's no sugarcoating it. There's no going around it. Everybody I've talked to is ready to hunker down and kind of do their thing over the next six weeks. I've had dozens of promoters and fans reach out to me. They're worried. Industry people, small chassis builders, big chassis builders, small shot companies, big shot companies, small racetracks, big racetracks. They have all reached out to me and said they're worried. I think everybody thinks if we're in this together, we can make it. We can survive it. Uh, but there is a lot of, of worry about that. And could I be wrong about my take on the timetable? Could we be racing in two weeks? Maybe. Could we be racing in 10 weeks? Maybe. I just think that's my opinion, as I think we're looking at early May, if I had to guess. I'm kind of waiting to hear some stuff from Lucas Oil today, and I think the Outlaws will likely either follow suit or be in lockstep with them. Um, I'm, I'm literally kind of waiting. I'm recording this at about 6.50 p.m. Central Time on a Monday night before I get to BART here. And I'm waiting to hear some stuff from Lucas. I may drop it in before this in the podcast if, if you're listening to this and I'm referencing Lucas Oil and you're saying, hey, you already talked about Lucas Oil in the World of Outlaws. It's because I heard about it afterwards when I was recording this. So uh, what I think is going to happen, though, is I think we're going to be racing hopefully in early to mid-May. And I think it's we're going to have the busiest May 1st through mid-October stretch in the history of the sport. People, I've already, that's the other thing. Everybody's just jamming races on the schedule. I know of some makeup dates already. We're going to talk about six, seven, eight nights in a row where it was only two before. So it's, it's going to be a wildly busy summer. So keep telling my staff, get a little bit of rest right now because we're going we're gonna to need it. So obviously I could go on and on about the coronavirus all day long, but I love our guest tonight, Bart freaking Hartman. What an interesting career, an interesting guy. What an interesting exit from the sport over a decade now. It's been 10 years since he's raced a super late model. He was always one of the best personalities in the history of dirt late model racing. And his answers to some of my questions, um, I did a little pre-interview with him. He's as candid and as awesome as he's ever been. I I wish he was still around, man. I really do. So here we go, man. Bart Hartman. But first, Bill Stein is back. Built in Mooresville, North Carolina, Bill Stein continues to make its mark in dirt track racing with over 100 U.S. engineers on staff, including well-known names such as Kevin Rumley and Vinny Giuliani. Bill Stein is manufacturing more parts now than ever before with their unparalleled technology and inside knowledge. And don't forget, Bill Stein is back. Joining me on the Integra Shocks and Springs Hotline, and if I'm rating top 10 personalities in dirt late model history, this guy's on the list. I think he gets forgotten sometimes because he's been gone from the sport for 10 years, how big of a personality he was. But Zanesville, Ohio's Bart Hartman joins me now on the Integra Shocks and Springs Hotline. Bart, it's kind of funny. I asked you this a little pre-interview I did with you. It's been 10 years since you've raced a super late model. But when I'm asking people, hey, who should I interview? 
who should I interview for this podcast? Your name kept coming up over and over again. So we absolutely had to do this. And I said it there in the introduction, can you believe, and this is a bet I would have lost, it has been 10 years since you've raced a super late model, eight since you've been in any kind of race car. Can you believe it's been that long? Because it doesn't feel that long to me. Nah, not really. I mean, time seems to fly and, you know, (laughs) you, you start talking to people and everybody's like, Hey, remember we was at this racetrack? And I'm like, yeah, that was 12 years ago, dude. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's been a while. Um, you know, you know, I noticed you said personalities, not racers. You, when you said top 10, but I'll (laughs) let you slide on that one. Thanks. I appreciate that. Well, we can listen. We got all this coronavirus stuff going on. We're going to be getting into a lot of, we got to cover a lot of content. So if you want to put yourself into the top 10 of all time, we'll do a debate show separate of this. Okay. We Uh, can do that. Well, I knew that the coronavirus had to be pretty serious. If you were, you know, texting me yesterday, (laughs) wanting to do an interview, I thought, wow, that was really going down. That might be my favorite line of 2020 so far. I knew the coronavirus was serious when I got a text message for, for a call. Yeah. You you know, you win the World 100 in 2009, and then 2010 is your last season in a super late model. I know I've never asked you. Maybe somebody else has in the media, but I don't think I've ever seen it. But you quit, and you, I mean, I guess you, you kind of walked away. I don't know if abruptly is the word, but suddenly. Why did you walk away? It seems like maybe it was more than just for a job or work for you. What was the reason that you just said, you know what, I'm done? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of things happened in 2010, you know, we we still had a really really good year that year, and um, you know some different opportunities came up, and um, you know Austin he ended up moving on to some different uh, uh, opportunities, and uh, I had a, a deal come up where I could go and uh, work in Oregon, and then you know just a few things happened, and you know Eric Jacobson calls me up one day, and I'm. I'm four hours up the road from him. He can't believe it. He's like, <laughs> I'm looking to buy a hauler. And I said, well, I'm looking to sell one. <laughs> and then, you know, in a matter of a month, I sold just about everything that I had. And, you know, I was like, wow, maybe that's just a sign. So, you know, I, uh, I ended up staying out there for a while and, uh, you know, following through with what, uh, what it came about. But, um, you know, it it just seemed like it was meant to happen, so I just went with it. It seems like it was, I don't know if easy is the word, but maybe it is. If it all happened in a month and you were able to walk away, was it easy for you to walk away? Because it kind of seems like you're saying it was easy, almost. Yeah, I mean, you know, you gotta you really, I mean, I've been going to the races with my family for so many years, yeah. and, you know, enjoyed it so much, and, um, you know, was met great people, and but um, it, you know, the racing was changing a little bit and the fun was kind of getting a little, a little hard to have. And I just thought, well, maybe this is all a sign and time to move on. Do you regret it ever? Oh, you know, certainly I wouldn't say regret it. I do miss it. I miss the people, the fans and, you know, and the excitement, you know, you sit there and, you know, you never miss the race. You don't run well at, you always miss the ones that <laughs> when the car's good, you can't make any mistakes, but, uh, you know, you'd never miss the ones where you're back there thrashing around about 15, like, man, I wish this thing would get over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're doing this call from Texas tonight where you're, you know, you're down there, we're doing some work right now. Explain to people what Bart Hartman is up to these days. What is a guy from Ohio doing in Texas? What line of work are you in? Just give me the general life overview for Bart Hartman. 
Uh, well, we're down here building a, a, a pipeline from uh, Midland to Houston, and uh, we'll be down here for a while. But uh, that's what I've been doing since uh, I've been out on the road, um, basically building oil and gas pipelines. And uh, it's been a pretty neat challenge and learn a lot of different things and, you know, kind of come into a different family um, of, you know, per se, like you have your family of racers on the road and this thing here we're we're you know run up and down through the country in different states and uh you know you're around a bunch of the same people and uh just just uh it's kind of a neat little deal when you say you're building a pipeline like i'm I'm trying to envision here are you literally swinging a hammer every day bart or are you more instructing the hammer swingers every day <laughs> no i'm more in charge of instructing the hammer uh <laughs> no nah, i'm uh um, I'm what you call the superintendent's assistant. So, um, we, we have a couple different of us and one of us will handle the whole front end of the line. And then the other one will handle the middle and we'll do one to have the back end of the line, but we have like 600 employees right now. So it's, uh, it's quite a feat. I would like you to draw one parallel between building a pipeline and dirt late model racing. Can you, can you do it? No, <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot more repetition in, uh, in the pipeline industry, but, um, uh, you know, you'd never do the same thing twice, you know, in the dirt late model industry, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's not a lot of things that are the same. Have you, has your work been affected by this coronavirus stuff at all? I mean, I'm always fascinated when I hear, well, our work's affected. It could be a chef, right? The pipeline business, how affected have you guys been? Well, actually, you know, like I said, with the number of people that we have, you know, usually have a, a, a Monday safety meeting and everybody's there. We've, we've cut those out to just small crew meetings. And, you know, as of right now, the gas company hasn't said anything about putting, you know, any restrictions or anything on us. But, um, you know, there are some projects in other parts of the country that have shut down. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm just, I keep envisioning you as the supervisor right now. I'm envisioning you, it's hot in Texas, right? So you're pulling up in the truck, the windows are down in your truck, but the AC's on, you pull up and you leave the door open and you get out. Is that, is that a correct assessment or no? Yeah, that's pretty much the, yeah, that's how it goes. But <laughs> I yeah, know it's, it's, it's actually pretty comfortable down here. It's, uh. <laughs> Yeah, it was a nice seventy-one degrees today, oh, but um, nice. it's uh, the weather. We're down, we're down in between, like I said, uh, Houston and Midland. But um, weather down here is, this time of year is actually pretty neat. I might be dead wrong about this, but you you win the World One Hundred in '09, and I know you're an Ohio guy. Obviously, that race meant a ton to you. And again, I want you to correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seemed to me like, and some people that I talked to about you, that after you won that race, that was sort of enough for you you leave racing altogether a year later was that world 100 win big enough where you were just like screw it i got the one thing that every dirt late model driver covets more than anything i'm out was it big enough for that yeah you know it did it didn't put the icing on the cake you know we had such an amazing year that year and you know we kind of laughed a few years later because someone asked about racing a late model again, and I was driving junior uh, Nolan's modified, and we won a race at East Bay. And I said, "Well, I could definitely retire now. I've won it outdoor, and I've won it East Bay, so 
I'm good. <laughs> I don't know that the mod win at East Bay equates to the World 100 win, Bart. I'm not sure those things are equal. Uh, if you ran as bad as I did at East Bay, any win equates. <laughs> well, you know, Austin, I talked to Austin today, your former crew chief, Austin Hargrove, and he told me that he goes, we were never good in the mud, he said. we were." Ne-. So you would, it's natural you would not be good at East Bay then, right? Right, exactly. But, exactly. By the way, that, that World 100 win for you, do you, I don't know if you know this or not, you had missed eight World 100s in a row coming into that. Did you have any thought in 09? Yeah, we're going to win. You'd missed eight in a row, Bart. Yeah, no, we had we had no idea. Uh, so that, that uh, it all just came together. And then, you know, the, the odd thing was we come back the next year and we're leading the thing and having, you know, have engine, uh, a little problem. But uh, it was, uh, it was a, kind of a shock both years, but. Someone told me, and again, I, I do a lot of research on these things. Somebody told me during your one of your last races, it might have been your last super late model race, the 2010 Dirt Track World Championship at West Virginia Motor, a place you had a lot of success in your career, that when you were in the car or in the pits that weekend or you and you were getting in the car, somebody told me that you basically told them or you knew at that moment you were done. It was October. Is that, you know, great athletes and athletes know when it's time. They just know. Did you know that Dirt Track World Championship in 2010 that, man, you were done? That was it that weekend. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, it, there was just something about that weekend. And, you know, uh, it, you, you were just so glad to get the weekend over and, you know, wanted to get everything home, be done with it, and take a break. And, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's that's a a good statement, and uh, you know, it was probably the beginning of the end, and you know, you just kind of realize it. So, like, and it was actually, it was. I'll just be frank with you. It was Austin that told me you were kind of getting into the car. Like, I think it was a B-Man or something you were going out there for. And he just said, he goes, man, I know, but Bart, and he, Austin had infinite praise for you. He loved you. He loves you like a father. He just said, he, Bart had a look in his eye that weekend that he knew he was done. Um, you think some guys probably go too long, don't they? They have that look and then they go another three years, <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Uh, you know, different drives. I mean, I would never, you know, I could never, ever tell anybody when they needed to quit doing something and, you know, because some people have more passion for it than, you know, ability. So right. you, you have to, you have to really respect those people that, you know, go and that's, that's the people that I respect the most that love and enjoy the racing, not because of the money and not because of the prestige, they just love to do it. And, you know, the local racer is, is that person. And I think a lot of that was gone for me. And that's one of the reasons it was just time to time to quit. I got a harder question for you, but we talked about this in the spirit of honesty. I want you to answer this question because no right. active racers, <laughs> you're getting nervous. No, active. Oh, no, I thought you was going to ask me to say, yes, I did get married. Uh, no, I knew. <laughs> yes, yes, I know you're married. Yeah. No, no active racers, uh, ladies' hearts break all over the world, finding out Bart Hartman's <laughs> off the market. I don't know about that. Yeah. No active racers ever answer this, but you got to be honest with me on this question. Okay. You got a penalty for treating tires at Florence about 10, 11 mm-hmm. years ago. Let's just clear the air right now. Yes, you did it, right? And I have it on pretty good authority that not only did you do it, but it actually made you worse. You guys were yeah. better after yeah. you were treating tires. Yeah. yeah, we did do it. Uh, and honest, I mean, that was a whole honest mistake. And I mean, I know everybody's going, yeah, whatever. It's not an honest mistake. But, you know, we had actually cleaned the whole trailer out of anything that had 
any, uh, uh, we'll call it an enhancement, uh, <laughs> on it. And, uh, um, uh, you know, just that we missed one. It was a UMP tire and, uh, it, oddly enough, uh, oh, well, it was one of them deals, but yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely used it. I mean, if anybody out there says they didn't, they're definitely lying. But, um, <laughs> How prevalent was it? T- 2009, 2010? Uh, I mean, everybody was doing it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was actually, it started way before that, but none right. of us were really smart enough to catch on. And, <laughs> uh, you know, there's a, I mean, and the thing was, is, hell, you didn't even interview me the whole year until I got that tire violation. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, had Todd. Get, I had to get DQ'd and everything else for you to call me. <laughs> so here's the thing. The last two times I've spoken to you is because of the coronavirus and a tire disqualification. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm, I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> Man, I, listen, in 10 years, there'll be another global pandemic, Bart. We'll talk again in 2030. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can honestly, I, I, you don't want to take any advice from me because I remember we was down at Kentucky Lake and you were telling me all about this internet deal and all that. And I'm like, that's not going to work. Why would you ever want to do that? <laughs> I do remember Look talking to you. I mean, yeah. Here we are, 23 yeah. employees later. We just got bought out. Bought out. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> uh-huh. Wait till you go, you know, public. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, right? I, I've been told that you have kicked the idea of getting back into racing around a little bit, but typically, inevitably, you always sort of circle around to not doing it. Why is that? Is there something when you look at late model racing right now, you're kind of think, eh, I just can't quite commit to it? Uh, you know, it's that. I mean, you know, and I've been out of it for so long, and I don't want to come back into it and not be successful. So, you know, there is a little worry about that. And, you know, the cars and the driving styles have changed, and all the, you know, the new young guys that are, you know, whipping up on the older guys. And <laughs> it's, uh, you know, there's Don and Devin and. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's, uh, so why, you know, you don't see a, you know, a 52 year old quarterback. So <laughs> Tom Brady's why? damn near 52 at this point. He's but... not, he's a 39. I mean, shit. <laughs> he's 42. He's 42. So. Oh, well, you know, see, <laughs> Is that a fear, though, for guys? It's like, you know, I wonder, I talked to Burkhofer about that, too. Like, you do wonder when you sit back down. Austin told me he thinks if you had some good equipment, you'd get back in and wouldn't miss a beat. Do you? Are you worried about, though? Like, shit, I'm, I might be terrible. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Anybody <laughs> in their right mind. I mean, shoot. I mean, I don't want to go out there and run in the back and then them say, yeah, no wonder he quit. <laughs> That's fair. What do you uh what do you miss most about it and what do you miss the least about it? So basically what do, what do you love and what do you hate? What do you miss the what do you miss the most and what do you miss the least? Uh, I mean, I just you know, most of it is the you know, running up and down the road and you know, hanging out with everybody and racing and you know, the fans and you know, I'm not kissing ass there on all that, but I mean, that's what I miss most. But you know, the what has changed with social media has made everything so much more drama. That's what I definitely don't. Do you think your day, you listen, I know you guys were up to some shenanigans on the road back in the day. Aren't you glad there wasn't Twitter and shit when you were in your heyday? I'm just glad there were flip phones, no (laughs) camera phones. (laughs) Do you care to share any specific stories, Bart, about why you're Uh, happy there? (laughs) 
Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> what uh, I know you pay attention to late model racing still. Who do you like when you watch now? Who are you impressed with when you're watching racing now? Who's Bart Hartman go, eh, that's, that guy's good, this guy's good, this track's good, that's not... What, 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 what's your whistle now when you watch it? Well, you know, the one thing, and I mean, the one thing I haven't really figured out, I mean, and you look at these guys and, you know, the younger, middle, everybody, is how that they can go out and just be totally dominant for three weeks in a row. And then you look at the standings for the next three weeks and they're running in a Concy or, and that was the one thing that baffles me, how much the cars have changed to where you can miss it by just a small bit. And that is what I look at. You, you know, you kind of have to look at the teams that are the most consistent and everything, but you know, one night you've got a guy that's just, you know, totally different racetrack and just out there killing it. And then for the next three weeks, you don't, you know, he's not even the top 10. What do you think that is? What's your best guess as to why that is? I have no idea because I mean, I don't, I haven't stayed up on the technology, you know, how they're smashing everything now and the bump stops and shims and, you know, so I couldn't honestly answer that question. It, it makes me curious, but you know, I haven't been to a late model race. The last thing I went to was probably, shoot, five years ago. It was a big block mod race up in New York. Yeah. When's the last late model race you went to? What is it? Do you know? Uh, probably mineral. No, no. I, I think I drove for Ernie at Winchester, Virginia. No, I'm actually saying even attended as a fan. So you haven't been to a race in like eight years, a late model race? I haven't been to any. Wow. I mean, I, when I was in the Modified, if we crossed paths, but when I drove for Junior, but other than that, no. Wow. Do you have any, do you want to go or no? I've never really liked to watch anything. Yeah. Like, you know, I ran motorcycles and stuff like that. I didn't like to go watch, but, you know, I'd rather go see the people and everything. But no, I haven't, I haven't been. Um, I've looked for some tracks down here and there's nothing really because, but, you know, we work seven days a week, so. Yeah. People forget that you were a member of the original Dirty Dozen, the Outlaws Dirty Dozen in 2004. You drove for Mark Richards that year. You guys were good. You won five or six races. I still say that's the greatest roster of all time in our sport. Do you remember thinking at the time, Bart, like, damn, this 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 roster is loaded. I mean, you guys won five or six races that year. Did you kind of know at that time that that group was probably the best ever collection of talent? Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, it was, and they were still on the other side. There was still a bunch of great racers and, you know, doing the other deal, but, you know, you always hear the world outlaws is better. Lucas oil is better. They're both have so much talent on them that, you know, when you bring them all together, it's all, they all mesh. It's, you know, it's 50, 50 up, you know, across the board, who's here or there, but, um, you know, there's so much talent out there that you can't really say that that was the best ever because, you know, you've got to go back in the years, like you said, Purvis and them guys and more. You know, if you took that roster and put them together for, you know, 12 guys back in those days, you know, who all would you put on it? Speaking of, by the way, and not to, I don't want to change the subject, uh, and that was the greatest roster of all time. There's no debating it. I'm sorry. It's not up for debate. <laughs> um, in April of 2004, you actually won an Outlaws race in Texas. Do you remember that? At Lone Star. 
Oh, yeah. 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 So how yep. far are you from Kilgore where you're at right now? Could you go over there and just maybe just take a walk around it for us, Bart, film it with your cell phone and relive that 2004 <laughs> moment? I, I am four hours south of Dallas, so no. <laughs> you're a ways. All right. You're a ways. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's a good ways. Uh, it's a good ways over there. <laughs> you drove for Mark that year. What do you, how do you, do you think, how different do you think it is driving for Mark Richards in 2004 versus driving for Mark Richards for two, in 2020? Uh, how different do you think it is and why? I don't think it's probably any different. Really? I think he, no, I would say he still is determined and focused and, you know, a lot of, you know, I couldn't have done everything without, you know, Mark Richards, Steve Baker, Keith and Tater Masters, all those people that helped me and, you know, all the sponsors out there. But, you know, he's just a driven man and he uh, gets results. And I mean, the record shows it you don't so think with, he's a little easier now than he was on you then he had to have been harder you think know, sheppy's got it the same as you did uh i don't know i haven't been around mark for a while but uh, uh he might have a little easier Shep's <laughs> kind of won some more races than i did <laughs> it's so true. i'd say mark would be a little easier on him yeah no no offense to your five or six but sheppy put about 27 on the board last he, year so. yeah he's got me a little bit i think mark yeah he's got a little more stock you know one thing i didn't know about you i did a, i do a ton of research for these interviews i talked to so many people that really know you and knew you in racing in your heyday and i want to tap into some of that i was told by someone that you and brian burkoffer they said could be twins and they said not by appearance but by the fact that you're both so mechanical you're both you constantly tinkering you're building things you're messing with equipment i you know i, I kind of forgot that you guys built your own motors for a while obviously back in the day i don't think you get enough credit to me as one of the great mechanical minds in dirt late model racing you guys really did your own shit for a long time didn't you oh yeah yeah i mean uh I mean, my brother always built the motors and i did the cars and that was the way dad kind of uh, separated this was Brett would be in the engine room and I'd be doing all the cars for him. But yeah, you know, you go out and start looking at front end geometry and moving stuff around and figuring stuff out. And yeah, that was kind of my thing. And my brother, like I said, he always built all my motors. And um, I mean, quite a few other people's motors as well, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I always enjoyed, you know, you get the late night out there and just uh, start drawing stuff out on the floor and trying to figure something out, make it a little bit better. Yeah, and I don't think, like I said, I don't think you ever got enough credit for that. And you mentioned your dad, of course, legend, Butch Hartman, uh, super famous name in short track racing and all of racing, really, your father, Butch. Won races all over America, asphalt, of course. And tell you, well, Milwaukee Mile, he won three times in Milwaukee Mile. How many times did he win the mile? Several times, right? Oh yeah, several. Yeah, way more than that. Yeah. yeah, we have you know we have so many guys now that talk about you know having famous fathers. You know Billy Moyer Jr., Bobby Pierce, Devin Moran. But you were kind of an older racer with a famous father. What was it like growing up the son of Butch Hartman? Well, he always had to work on his car, and he, <laughs> and he would wreck you if he got near you. <laughs> Is that true? He would take you out. Oh yeah. Oh heck yeah. Uh, <laughs> the first two years we raced together. I had to finally start traveling because I didn't have to pick both cars and, uh, it was just the way it was. Did he, would he say anything to you, Bart? Like, Hey man, just so you know, son, I love you, but I'm dumping your ass. Or was it just, no, he'd yeah. do it. And that was it. No, he'd just do it. And that was it. <laughs> 
did other racers feel the same way about him or was this just because you were his son or what would, I mean, how does, I need a little more information on this. Oh, I mean, bad Kate, he was an old school racer, so he was a little rough around the edges, but, uh, you know, uh, that was just kind of how they, they raced back then. And, you know, it didn't really tear up as much as what it does these days, but <laughs> wow. I love that. I, I tell these some youngsters now they're lucky they're not racing against their dads, quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, your dad, your dad passed away in the mid nineties. What do you think Butch would say about racing today? Like if he just, if he just appeared right now and watched a month of, of short track racing, what do you think your dad would say? Ah, uh, he'd say they're all spending too much money first. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he'd, he'd say a few other choice words that I'm not going to say, but uh, well, I just, yeah. I'm trying to get an and idea. I mean, honestly, I think my dad would be better in one of the cars today than I would be. Why because so? he was uh, quite a bit more aggressive driver than what, you know, I feel that I, I was. And I honestly think my dad would be better in one of these cars than what I would today. Oh, that's interesting. Because you're right. Those rocket cars and stuff, they want to be hustled, right? They want you to yeah, push them. Yeah. And yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good point. I just, I would love to see your dad with like one of these NASCAR guys that's like, you know, one of these NASCAR drivers that's five, six, 130 pounds is tweeting and trying to work on his social media brand. Like what Butch would say, what Butch would say about that. Yeah. He, yeah. There wouldn't be a lot of good things to say. <laughs> uh, last couple of things. I'm going to wrap up with you. You've been great as I knew you would be. I've got some true or false questions for you. Okay. So these are true or false answers and you can, you can give us a little facts if they're true or false. True or false, uh, the famous crew chief in dirt late model racing, Robbie Allen, hoghead, who worked for you on multiple occasions, he once backed a trailer into your dad's shop door and ripped off the entire shop door. True or false? True. (laughs) How bad was your dad at hog for that? Uh, Dad was always mad at hog. Him and dad just didn't hit it off. Oh, you, you, Robbie may have said something similar. I know he respected your dad, but I don't think they had a perfect relationship. So, well, Robbie likes to get up a little bit later than what dad would want to eat his lunch, and uh, <laughs> and uh, it it just didn't go well. I mean, but Robbie wanted to eat, work a lot later than what dad wanted to work. So, oh, God. <laughs> you know, and, and Robbie was like, I I don't understand what the problem is. I'm still working 10 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. I could see those two clashing over that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, true or false. The first job, first job ever you made Austin Hargrove do for you was pull a lawnmower out of the ditch that you wrecked. And this was literally on his first day of the job. True or false. It's true. We got home from Brownstown and I was mowing down along the road and I hit this rock and shot me down over the bank. It was a zero turn and we Yeah. He had to he had to come down there and pull me up over the hill. Austin said that you told he, he said to you, I hope not every day is like this and you said, Oh, you better be ready. There are gonna be a lot of days like this. You told him yeah. actually. Yeah, pretty um, much. Uh, this is my favorite true or false that I that you have right now. Actually, no, I'm going to do this one first. True or false? You once drove on Interstate 70, or you dro- once drove on the interstate for 70 miles following Rick Eckert with absolutely no headlights on in the rig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were some other things I could tell you about Eckert, but I'm not going to. <laughs> oh, please. Give me one good Rick Eckert story. Just one. Oh, no, no, no. No, no. <laughs> Listen, he wasn't afraid to give me some Bart Hartman stories. I think you should know yeah. that. So. I'm sure of it. <laughs> All right, I'll move I know on. We was racing home in the rain one night from Tyler down to Clarksburg, and 
Eckert had that old Mac that would always outrun my stuff up the hills, but I was better on top end. And, <laughs> uh, we come down to the hill to Route 50, and we were both sideways with the tractor trailers because it was wet, and we decided to quit. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. Uh, yeah. Last couple, true or false. True or false, and this is easily my favorite one. You once made the feature at Florence for the North-South 100, but you made it through a B-Main. You knew you were not going to make any laps in the feature. So you, at that point, Bart, true or false, put four or five Coors lights in your driver's suit. So when you pulled in the infield on lap one, you had enough Coors lights for the 100-lap feature to watch from the infield, true or false? Well, that would have to be false because four beers wouldn't have lasted me 100 laps, so it was more <laughs> beer than that. So that was true. Where in your driver's suit would you have put more than four beers? All my suits weren't as tight as they were at the end of my career. I mean, shoot, I had some room when I was younger. Oh, God. Uh, I'm so glad I did these pre-interviews with people. I got so many. And by the way, a lot of these I could not talk about on the air that I got stories. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I remember that because old King, he wasn't real happy with me because I pulled in there. He's like, what's wrong? And I'm drinking a beer already. I was like, oh. <laughs> Jerry, I can hear. God rest his soul. I can hear Jerry saying yes. that. Yeah. Uh, my final point or final question and this is one of my favorite Bart Hartman stories of all time, and this is way inside baseball, but but screw it, I'm telling it because I love it. So Show Me 100, it's it's either the late 90s or the early 2000s, and you didn't go to the Show Me more than a handful of times in your career. This you're, You spin out in the feature. You get taken out, you spin out, you're on the backstretch. Scott Bloomquist is leading the Show Me 100, and this is under yellow after you spin out. Bloomquist is idling around there, and he drills you under yellow. I mean, he, he does some damage to his car. Just, I don't know whether he didn't see you or what happened, but I vividly remember you in the pits telling this story with a beer in your hand to a group of people. And I just remember you flailing around with your arms and you being like, what the fuck was this guy doing? I'm just sitting here trying to get the hell out of Missouri and this guy's leading the race and he runs into me. Do you remember yeah. that night? Did you ever talk to oh. Scott about it or no? No, he, I've never really asked him anything about that. I mean, he must be colorblind because, you know, that <laughs> yellow car blends in with that brown dirt so well. And, and, yeah, I remember sitting there, and I'm just thinking, okay, here they come. And he just sudden turn and drills me. I was like, <laughs> what the hell? I mean, yeah, yeah I that need was to, unbelievable. I need to ask, because you're, I mean, it did a decent amount of damage to his, and I mean, it wasn't teared up terrible, but it got it pretty good, I think, didn't it, your car? Oh, it meant the front clip. <laughs> it's it, so pretty yeah, good. I mean, he hit me right in the right front wheel. I was like, shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. you know what? You you remember Rick Swally, by, by, by the way, back in the day from his old stars days as the photographer. How about Rick's ascent, right? From serious photographer all the way to serious director. He's come a long way since probably that little kid that was following you around at West Virginia Motor, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's, he's done well for himself, done a lot for the racing community, and... um. We had a lot of challenges, and, yeah. you know, that in the, the nice thing that is about the two sanctioning bodies is well, the, if you just look at the safety that they've put into our, or not our sport, the sport, um, you know, it, they've done a lot of improvements over the years on everything. And, uh, you know, you got to commend all of them for that. And I think, uh, you know, the way the, the two sanctioning bodies work together on stuff like that, it's, it, it commends them both to, you know, make it our, or make it the sport better. Okay. One final question. I lied. I want you to guess where you are in the history of stars series victories. Are you inside the top 10? Do you think in stars series? Oh wins? no, I don't think so. You don't think so. 
You are Man. inside the top 10 in Star Series wins. You're ninth all time. One really? behind Jack Boggs. So I think you need to get, well, there's no Star Series, but I don't think it's, it's Moran, David J, Larry Moore, Balzano, Stuler, Chubb, Francis, Jack Boggs, and Bart Hartman in ninth with 23. Hmm. Why didn't you think you'd be really? in the top 10? You won a ton of Stars races. What are you talking about? Oh, I didn't think I won that many. <laughs> I mean, if, you know, when I first went on that deal is, you know, it was either Donnie or Davey or Larry Moore winning everything. And then, of course, when you went over to Hagerstown and Stuhler, you know, there in Winchester and anywhere around there, Stuhler just beat the hell out of you. So, yeah, I didn't think I'd won that many. But Well, I think we did. I mean, I think we covered it all, Bart. I don't think there's anything we missed, did we? No, not really. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure we're forgetting something, but we probably can't say it on air. I will. Well, there's. I got. That's. That'll be the after hours dirt on dirt special for an extra twenty nine ninety nine. You can listen to Bart Hartman tell stories. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Uh, dude, you were great, man. I, I really appreciate it. This was fantastic. I, I'd love to see you in a car at least one time before you decide to completely hang it up. I'd love to see you in a car one more time, but if not. I completely understand. Uh, more, maybe we'll hire you as a commentator sometime. You have any interest in that? Come and do a race and help us commentate. Well, you do remember when I did commentate down at East Bay. I right? do. I do with yeah. with Dustin. I think it was a DJ, right? Yep, yep. And that was probably. I had a lot of fun that night too. And do you remember what the what I did? Uh, refresh my memory. All right. So we were doing the feature, and uh, <laughs> Dennis Herb was leading. And Scott James was him and Scott were having a quite a good race, and there was contact. And uh, <laughs> DJ looked at me, and says, "Well, what do you think happened there?" I said, "Well, we are down here in the Tampa Bay area. It looked like a shark attack to me." <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Scott James. That's not fair. That's not oh, it was. He he even liked it. So. <laughs> I knew it was going to be a shark joke. I was either saying that or you were drinking Coors Lights while on air, is what I thought. No, so, no, they wouldn't let me do that up the booth. But <laughs> Or you would have. Bart, yeah. I, I appreciate it, man. You were awesome as always. Um, I'm thinking there'll be another flu pandemic in 2030. So let's just go ahead All and right. get it on the books for that year, okay? We can plan on that it. That sounds good. That sounds good. All right, Bart, give Boy. my give All my right. family your best, bud, and uh, be safe down there in Texas, okay? Okay. Say I appreciate it, and I'd like to say thanks to everybody. All right, thanks, Bart, man. See ya. Yes, sir. Goodbye. Before the close, how does PPM Racing consistently produce such high-quality parts? They start with a good, strong design. Then they make it out of the highest quality American materials, and they use the smartest, strongest techniques. PPM does this with every part they make, every part, literally every part, every time they make one. So when you're using PPM parts, what you'll have is just built better than everything else you've been using. Thanks to Bart for joining me today. God, he's good, isn't he? He just, just, I went, and these podcasts might need to go longer because I had some more for Hartman. I'll do part twos on all of them. DOD will have ongoing coverage of the coronavirus, a lot of written and video content this week coming up, more reaction interviews and perspective as we see how long this thing is about to settle in for, and we keep you updated as it pertains to the dirt late model world. Did you also see that we're tapping into the Dirt Station historical library? I'm really freaking pumped about this. Steve Gigas. Dirt Late Model Hall of Fame videographer, the best to ever do it, period. He's got the most unreal, I mean this, the most unreal collection of dirt track video ever. Late Model stuff will mainly be on Dirt on Dirt, like the old DTWCs, Have a Tampa Races, 
And the sprint car stuff, uh, we have tons of old stuff, tons of old USAC and All-Stars and all this Pennsylvania sprint car stuff that Steve's got. That stuff will be on Flow Racing. So check those both out. There's still, there are still some races happening out there. Uh, so we'll have highlights of those that are happening. If they're racing and it's worthwhile in late model racing, trust me, we're trying to get a camera crew there and cover it. So uh, look for that. Thanks to Bart Hartman. Thanks to everybody for listening. And uh, Derek's back with his podcast with Turbo next week. And I will be back the week after that. I'm thinking, I've got, I've got an inkling for Kyle Larson. I don't know yet, but I kind of want to talk late model racing with Kyle Larson. Not guaranteeing it yet, but uh, but we'll see. All right, guys, talk to you soon. Thanks.